Welcome to BDO To Go, casual industry conversation brought to you by the restaurant industry professionals at BDO. The constantly evolving landscape of the industry forces operators and owners to adapt quickly and maintain a keen awareness of consumer and economic shifts. Understanding these business impacts and insights is key to the continued success and resilience of the restaurant industry. That's why we crafted our new BDO To Go podcast series, a monthly podcast that you can take to go. Now, here's your host, Jeff Tuba. Well, welcome back to another episode of the BDO To Go Restaurant Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in for this episode, and we hope you've been enjoying all the content we've been providing as we seek to educate and connect great people in this great industry. Well, today I'm excited to be joined by Bill Lindsay. Uh, Bill's background contains a variety of roles that he'll talk about in a little bit, but he's been in the restaurant industry as a food and beverage director, working in a casino industry uh, company, time with Mike Gross, the chief growth officer at Compete Restaurant Management Software Company. He's been an advisor to restaurant-specific software companies and as a founder and entrepreneur of multiple restaurant technology companies. So excitedly, his most re- recent venture uh, is a company called Cogswell that was named one of five top new restaurant technology companies at Mertech. Most importantly, Bill's been a great friend of the firm for as long as I can remember. So, Bill, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. I, I really appreciate the invitation, and I look forward to the conversation today. So, Bill, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, you've had a very, I'll call it, interesting restaurant background because of just the variety of capacities. So what initially piqued your interest in the restaurant industry, and how did you get from working inside a restaurant to eventually now you're a technology expert in the restaurant space? That's a great question, and uh, it's funny. I look back on my career and ask myself that question uh, frequently. Uh, I, I started in the business like so many people as a dishwasher, and uh, you know my my mom was raised in a restaurant. Uh, my grandfather immigrating from Cyprus, so I always kind of had a bit of an interest in restaurants, and uh, uh, I, I started out washing dishes and just kind of fell in love with the whole idea of of running a restaurant and guest service. And uh, I, I had a great opportunity as a young man to work for a, a division of, uh, of Marriott at the time. Uh, I received some of the best training that you could receive, and I still to this day am grateful for the program that they put me through. But uh, interestingly, one of my first jobs was to help open new restaurants and train cashiers and bookkeepers. And that's what kind of got me into the back of the house. And uh, I had a nice run with them. But I uh, went out to visit my parents when they uh, retired in Las Vegas, and I took one look up and down the Las Vegas Strip back in the 1970s and said, what am I doing? This is for me. So uh, I moved out to Las Vegas and could not find a job in a restaurant to save my life <laughs> in spite of my background. And so I sold uh, dish soap for a little while and repaired dish machines, which gave me an opportunity to meet all of the uh, back-of-the-house uh, staff and I was fortunate enough to find my new home uh, with a company in Las Vegas, uh, Boyd Gaming. And uh, I became a, a manager, later a food and beverage director. And we opened our fifth casino and were really trying hard to manage the inventory. And we realized that we needed some kind of a central computer system and a central purchasing office. And that was the day I found out that I was in love with technology. Uh, it was shortly before PCs. 
And uh, interestingly, uh, we developed an enterprise-style restaurant inventory and uh, supply chain management product that uh, was written on a mid-range computer at the time. But we hired this company to write it for us because there was no other software. And the owner of that company uh, is now my wife, and that's how I met her. So uh, I came by technology honestly, and uh, from that point, uh, moved uh, to a company called Remax, and we had uh, uh, restaurant management software on the PC, and were the first uh, company to really do that nationally. And uh, worked for a while with Remax, and had a wonderful run. And uh, as time went by, I knew that uh, my future was going to be in restaurant technology. You know, I've always said that uh, th- there's people out there trying to tell these o- operators how to run their business that have never bust a table. Um, you know, I come from the industry, and uh, I think it gives me a unique insight into what really will work practically and what won't. So, well, long story, but uh, uh, it really is something that I fell in love with and been uh, doing ever since then in my life. And met your wife along the way, too, which she'll tell you that's the best part of it, right? <laughs> you know, it was uh, it was interesting how that all worked out. And, uh, you know, here I am still doing exactly the same thing, uh, designing restaurant uh, back office and, and distributing and selling restaurant software. I certainly have uh, four very sharp partners that I work with that do uh, the majority of the work. Uh, so I don't want to take too much credit, but uh, uh, we've had a very good run. So, I know, Bill, you've spoken at our restaurant CFO boot camp many times uh, in prior years. And it seems like from our conversations, every technology company in existence seemed to reach out to you when you were at Compete. And so obviously you've gotten to know a lot of these different technology companies. And just like restaurants, you know, technology companies will rise and fall quickly, uh, depending on the nature of, of the technology and how, how well those companies are run. But in your mind, what makes a good technology company in the restaurant space relevant and sustainable? So in other words, when companies are trying to choose a platform from a technology perspective, how do they navigate that? How do they pick the right one? Like, how do you know the goods from the bads when it comes to just technology in the restaurant space? Yeah, boy, that is a great question. And uh, it's an ever-evolving answer. But the one thing that doesn't change are relationships. Uh, you know, setting the technology aside, it really comes down to relationships and trust. So people want to make a good decision for their company, and they want to have partners that are going to work with them. And we've all done enough technology projects to know that there are always those things that go wrong. And when you have a good relationship and a trust with uh, at least one or two individuals, then you know that you can weather whatever challenges or present themselves. But deeper and, and more deeply, and really when you look at uh, how the technology is changing, the biggest thing that I'm seeing is as point-of-sale systems, which, let's face it, POS is at the hub of the data, a lot of things going on around it, but most of the information begins at the uh, point of service level. So what's happening is as these technology companies are moving to the cloud, they found that they can charge for access to the data. So, you know, where we used to be able to just pull the point of sale and collect information that made other systems and ancillary products uh, more efficient and more informed, Now what's happening is people are finding that they love their point-of-sale system, but as soon as they want access to their data, there's extra charges involved and other, you know, modules that have to be purchased. Uh, In some cases, we're seeing situations where companies are asking for a share of revenue from the vendors that rely on the sales information. 
So it's a different uh, business model that seems to have sprung up where instead of just trying to make the best product that serves the needs of the customer, it's also being able to market the data, uh, even back to the customers who are generating that data. So that's the first thing. The second one is look for innovators. You know, look for people that are trying to solve a problem instead of just trying to serve an available market. Um, you know, there are a lot of companies out there that just crunch the numbers and say, we can sell X amount of units with this strategy. And there's other companies out there saying, are we really solving the problem? Maybe we could find a way to make this better for the client. So I always coach people, look for the people that are trying to solve problems and innovate as opposed to people that are just trying to attract market share. And that kind of leads into what's happening in technology in general. There's a big traction going on. And a lot of companies are banding together. And generally what I'm seeing are the companies that are contracting or swallowing or trying to organize multiple companies into a behemoth uh, product line tend to be dealing with more stagnant technology. Um, you know, it, instead of innovating, it's basically a, a market grab. So be real careful and look at the future of where companies are heading. Um, I, I think that that's a, a good guideline. But the last one I'll mention is, you know, there's two ways to go about building your tech stack. Um, generally, there is a single source approach and there's a best of breed approach. And in the past, single source really saved the day for a lot of restaurant operators because systems didn't talk together or talk well together and didn't communicate and share information. So, you know, getting a single source provider meant that you didn't have to worry about all the integration challenges. Well, today systems tend to be more open. And with APIs, you'll hear that term a lot. You know, a API means automation. And, you know, there's the, the term is, you know, uh, really, I think, maligned. But whenever I hear API, I hear open data, automation, the ability to tie systems together. And so best of breed has become much more attractive because the risk is less. You know, with best of breed, if you have the best uh, inventory, the best labor, the best accounting, and you decide that one of those pieces is no longer serving your needs, then you can swap out that one piece. Whereas with a single source provider, you kind of end up with uh, what I call the buffet. Uh, you know, instead of, uh, you know, if we're all going out to dinner and we want to have Italian food, we could go to a buffet and find some spaghetti, but it's probably not what we're looking for. So I think that that's the one thing that I would coach people on is to be a little more open to best of breed these days just because the technology has developed to the point where it's very, very easy to tie multiple systems together to your own advantage. Yeah, and you may have answered my next question, but I, I was going to ask you about, you know, just as you've worked with restaurants over the years in different capacities, you know, what are the biggest things that you've identified as just significant changes that restaurants have to adapt to? And it sounds like the evolution of technology, the cloud, and maybe I kind of answered that question, but anything else you'd like to add on, on that topic of, you know, what have they had to adapt to? Yeah, the, 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 the people have changed. Uh, we have a younger uh, group of staff members now that are much more tech oriented. Um, you know, I've heard it said that, uh, People in my generation uh, speak about technology as a second language, and the younger folks, it's their primary language. So what I'm seeing when I'm doing you know, product demonstrations and meeting with different restaurant companies 
is very exciting because there are younger folks now that have a higher level of expectation of what the uh, what the technology will do to solve their problems and serve their needs. You know, uh, they expect more automation. They expect things to be simple and direct. Uh, they expect everything to be connected together because that's the world that they have grown up in. And so consequently, they're also not only a little bit more sophisticated, but they're a lot more demanding. And I think that's a good thing. That'll drive innovation and uh, hopefully lead to more problems being solved through technology. Uh, and the other one, too, is, you know, the, the, for the longest time, the hub of technology was the back office. And I mean literally sitting in the back office in front of a screen. And with mobile devices now, especially tablets, you know, I see a lot of people, you know, leaning towards the phone. And the phone's a great tool for quick information and communication. But a tablet is something where you can get a lot of information on a screen and, you know, conduct your business on the floor instead of back sitting in the office uh, in a vacuum. So I think it's really it's the, the younger marketplace that is more mobile-centric and uh, with higher expectations for automation and, you know, solution finding, for, for lack of a better term. Well, I know, it, obviously, it's clear, you know, if you want to grow and be relevant in this space, you have to embrace technology. Now, your new company uh, is primarily focused on cost of goods. And so from a technology perspective, you know, where should companies focus to get better results and better understanding of cost of goods? And what information should they just have access to at, at the you know, just right away or, you know, at least within a short period of time to be able to make quick decisions? You know, I, I think the, the number one thing to focus on is the reliability of the data. Um, you know, back office, especially inventory systems, are notoriously flawed in terms of how people track pack sizes and yields and all the complexities of managing cost of goods. So reliability of data is absolutely number one. Um, if you have good, reliable data that you can trust, then it's a lot easier to use that information and trust it to make the types of major business decisions, especially today where the supply chain is just a nightmare. Um, you know, anybody listening to this podcast would tell you even better than I the, uh, the, the, the real challenges that people are facing with availability of products and substitutions and pack size changes and cost changes. So the second thing that I always coach people on is you need a system of cost alerts, uh, cost alerts, you know, that are triggered. So if the price of a product moves a certain percentage, you need to know that, you know, I mean, if you're, I'll make it in simple terms, if you're building a fruit plate and all of a sudden the price of kiwi goes through the roof, then you know you could substitute a different fruit if you knew quickly that that price change was moving as fast as it was. So cost alerts, I think, are the first thing that I look for. And then I know people uh, um, sometimes uh, resist hearing it, but the best way to manage your cost of goods is to get a theoretical cost or an ideal cost in usage on every ingredient. Uh, that's not possible in every restaurant. You know, if you're like a Chipotle style or a Blaze where you're building to order, uh, it's not possible to track every single ingredient. But for most restaurants, it is. And you need tools that make it uh, easier and more efficient to get down to how much product you should be using compared to how much product you're actually using and to see that on an ingredient level. You know, too many people celebrate if they hit a percentage that they had budgeted for, 
without realizing that maybe they could do better if they knew exactly what was happening uh, and, and got the theoretical cost through recipe utilization in their, in their yeah. system. The other one is very easy, set targets. You know, we all understand budgets, but if I price the hamburger at a certain point, I'm expecting a certain return or a certain profit on that particular item. So if you start setting targets that say, you know, if this item creeps up above 28%, I'd like to know about it, um, set those targets and put them as a baseline at minimum when you price out your menu. That way, when your cost of goods changes, rather than trying to look at cost alerts where some ingredient costs went up and some went down, it's kind of hard to interpret that. If you could simply run a report that said, you know, well, we priced this item at $12.95, we were expecting a 28% cost of goods, but it's up to 32. You know, it's much easier to manage your price changes, um, recipe modifications, all of the tactics that you need in order to stay on budget for your food cost if you have a target or baseline to compare to. Um, then comes menu engineering. Now, uh, menu engineering is an abused term. Uh, it started way back in the 1970s. Uh, professor, I think it was Cannavale at Michigan State, came up with this idea of quadrants. And it's basically tracking popularity and profitability and determining which items were highly profitable, highly popular, not so popular, but still profitable, and so on. So menu engineering gives you the ability to mix your menu in such a way. You know, when I was in Las Vegas, I was a food and beverage director for a long time, and it was back in the days where we marketed with food. So you could come in and have breakfast for 99 cents, and uh, I, I, I had a very popular breakfast program. Uh, we called it... Uh, the BYOB, build your own breakfast. But then I had a contest with my servers on a monthly basis. Whoever sold the most orange juice, I'd buy them dinner. And uh, they competed for that. And it wasn't the prize was so great, but they understood that if they got 85 cents for that orange juice, they almost doubled <laughs> our, our revenue on the 99 cent breakfast. So it's understanding how to co-market things and mix them together. Menu engineering can really help you to price more strategically. And then if you don't have a cost trend analysis going today, you really are uninformed. Uh, things, supply chain, everybody knows uh, how um, uh, you know, volatile it is currently and the cost of items and the substitutions and frequency of that. So if you're not doing cost trend analysis to see the direction that you're heading, you know, how do you know how to set up a defense to prevent you from going right over the edge of the uh, cliff there? So cost trend analysis is one that I spend a lot of time uh, uh, helping people and coaching people to do. And then finally, you know, you cost out all the recipes you want. You can have all the controls in place that you can imagine. But if you don't publish the recipes to your staff in a simple, meaningful method, you know, a tablet or uh, a display where we make sure that the staff understands how the items are to be prepared. So not just a list of ingredients, but instructions and pictures and narratives that tell the story of how items are supposed to be handled in the kitchen then you really don't stand much of a chance of managing your cost of goods sold if you start getting inconsistencies or, you know, people that go rogue and say, you know, I think, uh, I think three and a half ounces is going to be better than three, so I'm going to serve a little more. So 
So, you know, getting the word out to the staff, I think, is a key ingredient to helping you manage your cost of goods. No, that's great insight, Bill. Um, I, I do want to probably make you laugh with this next question, but uh, and I'm guessing people that ask this question are probably it's a loaded question because they're not doing it often enough, which is why they're asking. But we do get asked, how often should inventory counts be performed? And again, it's probably they're asking because they don't do it often enough. Yeah, but my standard answer is a question. How often do you count your money? Um, you know, at the end of every shift, we're running down the till at the bartenders. We're checking them out. If you've got, uh, you know, counter help and cashiers, you're always trying to balance to the penny. You know, you're off a few dollars and uh, people have questions and want to know why. But there's thousands of dollars worth of inventory sitting on shelves that, you know, maybe you're overstocked, maybe you're understocked. But most importantly, until you count, you can't reconcile you're on hand and compare your theoretical usage to your actual usage. Um, you know, the, the more often you get that number, the better. So what I always tell people is, look, it's the 80-20 rule. And it's funny, I was having a conversation with uh, uh, a friend the other day, I think last week, and we were talking about how the 80-20 rule is so absolutely true when it comes to inventory that in almost every restaurant concept or bar I've worked with, 80% uh, of the cost is 20% of the items. Let's focus on those 20% of the items. And maybe we count five items a day. You know, maybe that takes 10, 15 minutes to follow up on five key cost items and reconcile them on a daily basis. You know, whenever somebody sees a variance in usage of an item, usually their first reaction is, uh-oh, somebody is stealing the food. And I always laugh and say, you know, people are not as insidious maybe as you think they are. Maybe they're just over-portioning, or maybe they're cooking too much bacon and having to throw it away, and your costs are up because you're over-utilizing a product. The only way you'll know is to count your inventory. And by the way, for all those people that say, you know, does your system do perpetual inventory, uh, please be clear on the term. Perpetual on hand is one thing, but periodic inventory is the method of choice for hospitality because of spoilage, yielding, all the other variable factors. So periodic inventory method requires a different journal entry. It's a different way of tracking. We all do it, but it requires periodic inventory. <laughs> so I always kind of come back to that, that the more frequently you count, the more frequently you'll know where you stand and can put together some kind of a, a strategy on how you can get a better handle on your usage and therefore your cost of goods sold. All right, but we're going to end off with a uh, little information on Cogswell, your new, your new venture. Uh, you told me this is your fifth generation solution and third successful company. And as I mentioned in the intro, recently named one of the top five new restaurant technologies at Mertech. You know, what motivated you to start this company and how are you specifically helping restaurants manage cost of goods? You've talked about a lot of different facets of it. You know, maybe what's one of the main one or two things that you're doing to try and help your your customers? Well, thanks very much for the uh, question, Jeff. And uh, my partners and I could not be more proud of uh, being selected at Murtech. And thank you to the folks at the uh, Restaurant Technology Network for sponsoring the program and uh, certainly Hospitality Technology and Murtech for hosting it. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I mentioned my three partners earlier, uh, uh, just to put their names out there, Dave Douglas, uh, Glenn Nelson, and Mike Brown. Uh, I've been working with these guys off and on uh, most of my adult life. 
And, you know, after decades of watching people struggle with inventory and cogs and managing an inventory system, uh, we finally decided, let's do something about it. Let's try to solve the problem instead of just replicate the problem in a new and cleaner user interface. So what we came up with is a unique combination of advanced technology and services. Services are the key. Um, you know, the combination of technology and services mean that we've built a product where we can create the inventory for our customers. You know, we do the setup as opposed to customers doing the setup. We can do, do it normally in just a couple of days. So most people spend weeks or months pounding in all the inventory information. And we've come up with a way to source information through invoice automation. So, you know, scanned images of invoices or certainly EDI, direct connections to vendors and suppliers or FinTech for alcohol purchases. Uh, we can have a customer ready for their first inventory count in a matter of days. And that's never been done before, but we didn't stop with just making it fast and easy. We added what we call a receiving audit. So we have a team of people on our staff that uh, are the receiving auditors for all of our customers. And uh, it was interesting, you know, rather than building software to train everybody in every restaurant how to perform an audit, fix item, pack sizes, and things of that nature, uh, we found it makes much more sense to build tools for our own staff and train fewer people to be more productive. So our receiving auditors basically uh, take responsibility for the quality of data that our customers are using to manage their business. Uh, there's no other inventory product out there that is spending time worrying about the quality of data. They're just trying to alleviate the, um, you know, the challenges and smooth off the rough edges. So, you know, I always ask people, you know, would you continue to use an accounting system that was constantly out of balance? Uh, and the answer is no. So for inventory, we've all become kind of numb to the challenge. And uh, my partner had decided to rise to the challenge. We created Cogswell. We've got a great story to tell, and we have a lot of great customers out there that are willing to share their uh, success in Cogswell with uh, anyone that needs a reference. And I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, to tell our story. Uh, Bill, thank you. We appreciate you being here today. We thank you for your friendship over the years. But again, thanks for taking the time to join us, sharing your story, your insights. Uh, you know, I think anybody listening could take away, you know, some information from this and, you know, be able to implement into their own restaurant companies. But I think your background is it's very well rounded. I think it, as you said, it helps you understand the op operations part of the restaurant, but now also the technology and how all those work together. But again, thank you, Bill, for being here. Um, to those listening, we hope this episode provided useful insights to you. Uh, if you have questions about this topic, please feel free to reach out. Uh, as always, we do invite everyone to subscribe to the podcast and drop us a rating. But thank you, everyone, for listening in. And Bill, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to BDO to go past episodes and related insights are available at BDO.com slash BDO to go, or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate review, share, or subscribe to this podcast. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's restaurant industry practice and the resources we provide, visit www.bdo.com slash restaurants.